As has already been mentioned this evening, what a joyful opportunity and occasion it is to come together, not only with our regular membership with which we're abundantly blessed, but many visitors have come our way today, and certainly for that we're very grateful and appreciative. And as Brother Dennis already extended a warm invitation and a cordial one at that for each and every one to come back at any and all opportunities. In fact, as we often make mention of, feel free to avail yourself of the bulletins as they're available to the left as you exit the foyer. Uh, they have some information about our schedule of services and other matters like that. If we can answer any questions or be of any help, certainly we'd be more than interested to, to do that very thing. As we noted this morning, taking a look at one aspect of the church and the glory that's to be seen therein, we came to understand the grandeur and the true gift and blessing it is to be able to come together in assembly, even as we are this evening. And on those occasions, to not, to not only edify ourselves, but perhaps more significantly to encourage others, as well as, of course, to magnify and exalt the name of God. As we've come together for that purpose this evening, you perhaps can tell that the title of our lesson will have to do with a portion or aspect of our society that seems to be becoming ever more prevalent with each and every passing day, namely that of the abuse of drugs as it has become so very and very exceedingly common. By way of introduction then, we might well note that the scriptures do contain information that shall be of advantage and help for us, and that's the reason that a subject like this one is even an appropriate one at that. We might start by saying that those medicines or drugs with which we are able to avail ourselves can certainly be used rightly and appropriately and can be used to bring about that which is good. But it's also safe to say, and certainly it is no revelation to any of us, that medicines and drugs can also be used in a detrimental way, in a way that's illicit, and in a way that is in fact, may we might even be so strongly able to say, as opposed to the very will of God. It'll be our chore and our advantage, if you will, this evening to look at what the Scriptures do say to you and me about the very matter of the abuse of drugs, if you will. In so doing, I've listed on that opening sheet some thoughts that, again, are very common. We know that in our schools, for example, there's tremendous effort and expense put forth to minimize the effect of drugs so that our children are not exposed to them. Our country expends billions of dollars a year in efforts to minimize and to do away with an excess amount of drugs that would cause problems to the citizens of our country. We understand that crime is, in fact, increased when there are those on drugs, for they find the necessary means, quite often, of committing crimes in order to sustain their habits and their abilities in order to have those drugs. Those, again, are things that are not anything new. However, it might be interesting to note the listing of some of the drugs. I can well recall when I was a student in school, one would hear about some of these drugs, but they weren't so terribly common. I never, in fact, openly saw them, or if I did, I didn't. I was too naive to know what I was looking at. But might it be interesting to note that there is still a large prevalence in our land of cocaine, marijuana, heroin, various others, as you can see listed, some of them are not nearly as prevalent today as they were perhaps then, such as those like LSD. However, there are others that are far more common now than they ever were at that time. For instance, there's the Oxycontin. There's also the various tranquilizers and morphine and the amphetamines and so forth. 
we might now know that it seems virtually a few days cannot pass without there being articles in the paper about a bust of a lab in which various kinds of drugs are being fashioned and made. To say all of that is to say that there is even a consideration in regard to doctor-prescribed drugs and the capability there is of abusing even them. And in some ways, those are perhaps more easily for you and me to consider in as much as those would be more likely, I suspect, for us to have to deal with. That is to say, drugs that actually are prescribed by a doctor and yet members of that family come to abuse them. What shall we say about that? No matter how one looks at it, drugs are a very low high. As we continue on to the next aspect of our lesson then, let us look at some statistics to amplify and set before our minds some of the features and thoughts about the magnitude of the drug problem in our land. Since we have a rather large number of young people who are able to be with us this evening, I know that you in the schools and the various things you hear about face matters concerning drugs. We as adults, maybe in the workplace, also must face the same. But please notice as we list some of these facts, they are in some ways staggering. 20.4 million Americans actually answered a poll only two years ago, affirming that of, that, of those 12, age 12 and older, 20.4 million Americans had used an illicit drug within the past month of the time that survey was taken. 20.4 million, that's over 8% of the population of our country. That's a lot of people. Those who again admitted openly that they had illicitly used a drug within the last month. What's more, it's recognized that over 22.5 million Americans are recognized to have substance abuse or some type of dependency on these drugs. What's more, you might note that over half of Americans, again, in answer to that poll, confirmed that they were drinkers of alcohol. I list that since alcohol is a drug. Its constituent is ethyl alcohol and has all the characteristics of these other things, perhaps to a minor degree in some instances, but a drug nonetheless. Notice also, 29.4% of all Americans, again, age 12 and older, admitted to the taking of tobacco or the ingesting of it in some form, and that's another type of drug. Is it not fair to say that as we come to the very bottom one, if we list that nextly, Notice our federal government spent over $18.8 billion in the year 2002 in efforts to fight drug trafficking and to fight matters consisting of drug issues. That second to the last one on that sheet is the one, again, that relates to somewhat a new matter. These, non -prescri these prescription pain medicines, those that are used to thwart or to minimize pain, Notice how commonly it has come for them to be abused. 2.2 million Americans responded, again aged 12 and older, to having taken these prescription pain medicines in an illicit fashion. We perhaps each may have these in our medicine cabinets and in other places that are easily obtained, and yet notice how often they have come to be abused. To list all of that is to say that we can certainly draw a few conclusions from it. And we can also use it to move us a little bit forward to the next part of our lesson. When one begins to ask, why is there such a drug problem to start with? And it is not only our country. It is, of course, others around the world. 
there is no good reason for the taking of illicit drugs, period. One can't list a single good reason, but yet what are some influencing factors that can play such a large role? I know that each of us have been in circumstances and situations in which these two next factors have at least been a part. We no doubt can at least imagine and visualize what has taken place. First of all, one can certainly make note of peer pressure. We've each been able to at least imagine the scene. This group of young people, perhaps, or even older ones, are involved in an activity and a person, though innocent, arrives and perhaps is unaware of what's going on, he or she soon learns what it is. When the others make that offer of this drug, the pressure suddenly becomes intense. Will I, in an effort to fit in and be accepted, do that which they're encouraging of me, or will I brand myself as different and actually not participate? We each can understand, maybe from our own experience, the kind of pressurized situation that can be. To be labeled as a mama's boy, to be told and belittled and insulted because you won't be man or woman enough to take this drug. It is a rather pressure-packed circumstance indeed, the pressure of those peers. In the workplace, again, it can take on forms not much unlike that. At any rate, might we notice that that certainly can be one strong emphasis and reasons to why one might start in the first place. But notice there is yet another that might also be noted. From those who are polled and answer surveys concerning the taking of drugs, one of the things that's often mentioned is the fact that at least for a little while they're able to escape the pressures, problems, difficulties, and other issues of the world. For a while they're free. They no longer have to think about that issue or that problem that has so bothered them. It certainly would be fair to say that the problems of life are not localized to any one age group. Those that are younger face great pressures and problems, the accumulation of grades, dating, friendships, choosing a mate, a career, if you will, all of them pose great decisions. For those of us that may be older, there's the obligations of the family, the paying of the bills, the various duties and obligations, all of that can perhaps lead some to think that it would be wise to break free for a while, to take some drugs maybe, might we be quick to say that drug abuse is a serious problem? I've only begun the lesson by trying to mention quickly some statistics. Our goal, of course, shall be to open the pages of the Word of God and ask what God's directions, His instructions concerning such things might well be. As we begin to look at that, I thought it'd be wise to look maybe at one other set of informational pieces. This has to do with prescription medicines and the manner in which they have come to be so rapidly abused. Among those earlier statistics that I listed, and by the way, those are from the, our federal government and the repository of statistics that it maintains. Notice that the fastest growing element of drug abuse is actually prescription drugs. This one is the one that over the last five years has more than doubled in the amount by which abuse has taken place. As I list these, you'll notice very quickly three categories that are recognized and tabulated amongst these prescription drugs. The first has to do with those that treat pain. You're maybe familiar already with some of the names I've listed, like codeine and oxycodone and also morphine. 
I've listed in parentheses some of the names, if you will, by which those things can be purchased and obtained. Those are what so often is now being abused. A young person or maybe even an older one will attempt to gain as many of these morphines as possible because when taken, the strength of them is able to give one that sense of highness that's obtained from so many of these other drugs. Might we be quick to say that when these are taken under the prescription of a doctor, certainly they have a degree of appropriateness. For in the expertise and wisdom of that doctor, that is what he or she has concluded to be the best. We are here not talking about situations like that. We're talking about those who obtain these, whether by stealing or by other means, and they proceed to take these prescription pain medicines. And in so doing, are in essence involved in illicit drug taking. The next category are those that are depressants that are used for the nervous system. You again may well recognize some of the names like Valium and Xanax. Third category are the various stimulants that are used to treat things like ADHD, or AA, as I listed, ADHD, narcolepsy, and other things like that. Regardless which way you look at them, those statistics at the bottom of the screen are truly staggering. When eighth graders were polled about the taking of these illicit drugs, morphine, Xanax, these other things we've just listed, You'll notice that for the year 2007, that's only last year, 1.8% of 8th graders admitted to the taking of these things. By 10th grade, it had zoomed to 3.9%. By the time of the graduation in 12th grade, over 5.2%. Notice that was for OxyContin. The next one, for Vicodin, which is simply a, a mixture of a couple of types of medicine that's very powerful indeed, as you can see the numbers, 2.7, 7.2, almost 10% of our high school graduates are taking drugs like that. As the next page lists one final statistic, this one is for tranquilizers. And as you can see, the numbers are not much better. As I list these numbers, how thankful and appreciative you and I can be as parents that we may know young people who do not take such things. But can we not also be aware of the pressures that they may face? For no doubt, they probably know many who do. We can certainly encourage them in all ways that we can that may, may continue to make those right choices and the right decisions to refuse to take these things. The last two statistics. 2.2% of adults who used illicit drugs did so by abusing these prescribed ones. And finally... Over half of all prescription drugs that were used illicitly were obtained for free from either a friend or a relative. We need to be aware of the kind of problem that's going on in our land. You see, drugs are things that are very strong indeed. As I ask you to think about the biblical approach to drugs and the kinds of things that God would wish us to know, may I suggest six points Six items, six things that we would do well to think often about. And if you and I encounter or know of those for whom these pieces of information will be valuable, might we begin by saying that God loves everyone. Not only, say, those of a certain type of skin color, He loves all humanity. A person who is taking illicit drugs is a person who needs to know that fact. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
God loved each person enough to send His Son to die for that one. In Romans 5, verse 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do we not remember the marvelous and profound statement that John uttered in 1 John 14? Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. It is not the will of God that any person needlessly and purposefully harm or destroy their body by the consumption of drugs illicitly. It is not the will of the divine God in heaven. In Hosea 13, an interesting phrase is found there in verses 9 and 10 that reminds us of the fact that Hosea had the fortitude to directly say, Thou, Israel, hast destroyed thyself. Those who, in fact, ingest these drugs illicitly, they're only harming their own body. They're only damaging their own brain, their own capability of the organs of their body. Can we not conclude and easily say, it is the desire of God that each person live his or her life to the maximal amount that God has prescribed and has in mind for it. It is not His will that we needlessly reduce and minimize the capabilities of our mind or of our flesh. That thought alone can be a meaningful one. May you and I not forget that God loves us, and may we certainly be willing to encourage that to the life and mind of others. But not only that, may we also comment about this body that you and I have been so blessed to have. The human body is truly a divine masterpiece. In terms of that, it truly is a designed and beautiful thing. This body didn't come about by evolutionary accident. It did not form by genetic mutation in long spans of time, as we may oft be told. The psalmist declared, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Verse 14 of Psalm 139. As we begin to notice the opening saga of the entirety of the Word of God, Notice at Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God fashioned that human body. And might we suggest that those scientists and engineers and other learned ones may know a great deal they have never been able to concoct a designed device that can compete with the human body. Those things that have been attempted be they artificial hearts or other things, may work for a while, but they have not the longevity or the perpetual character of the organs of the body. And might we be so quick to suggest that to this point nothing has come close to the human brain. In terms of its capability of taking information, synthesizing it, organizing it, using it, there's no robot, no computer on earth that can match it and even come close. You see, this body is an amazing designed masterpiece. God desires it to be used to its maximum potential and not to purposefully minimize that potential by harming it, destroying it, hurting it. And yet, that's exactly what illicit drugs do to it. In fact, I've listed on the screen some thoughts about the comparisons to machines. May I ask what may appear to be some rather innocent questions? We each understand that an automobile engine is, too, a designed thing. Who among us would purposefully open the distributor and put shaving cream in it? Who among us would purposefully open the carburetor and pour water in it? Well, none of us in his right mind. 
and yet we are willing to ingest illicit drugs or take things in to purposefully harm this body? Who among us enjoys the thought of their computer having a virus? I think I know the answer to that question. For we know the viruses harm it and perhaps even significantly destroy parts of that computer and its operability. It's a fair thing to say. Why would we purposefully then want to do that to the human body? These are interesting and profound thoughts, aren't they? As the Word of God challenges us to consider not only those two, but a third point as well. We read in the pages of the New Testament the urgency and the command to keep the body pure. Some of those most favorite passages might well be remembered as the aged Paul delivered them to his young son in the faith. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, to that young son of his he said, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in faith, in purity. Notice that Timothy, though himself being young, he was encouraged let no one despise your youth, but rather be an example of the believers. As we consider that injunction, that set of commandments, is it not fair to notice the purity that Timothy was encouraged to know? We noticed he was to be an example. But notice the commandment that's uttered in 1 Timothy 5 verse 22. Three little words. Paul told Timothy, keep thyself pure. That's a commandment. And by inspiration, that's just as needful for you and me today as it was then. To maintain an attitude of purity in our desire so that both mind and body can be strong enough to carry forth the work that God has given us to do. Notice that perhaps one other set of texts, 2 Timothy 2 verse 22, the injunction to keep not only the life pure but the other factors related to it, so easily seen in one of those favorite texts in Proverbs. The opening verse of Proverbs 22, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor more than wisdom. Might we notice the encouragement that God has to maintain a good name, to so live in such a way that one's name will be recognized as one of integrity, character, and dignity, that one's name will not be associated with that which is impure, that which is in fact illicit or illegal in character. We are urged and admonished to be pure and to live lives that can be great examples for others. Have you or I known individuals perhaps who, though a good upbringing and with great power in life, made a foolish, foolish decision? And it took a long time, if ever, to live down the tarnishing of that name. It can only take a moment. We in wisdom should then proceed to attempt to maintain purity in life. But that only leads us to perhaps notice how we might address some of those thoughts that we raised earlier. Notice that as we make listing of number four, earlier we noted peer pressure. It would not be wise to underestimate the force of peer pressure. Again, I'm sure we've each been there at some point. Maybe it wasn't to deal with drugs, but maybe some other issue in life. We each, it seems, have a desire to some extent to fit in, to be considered a part of a group. Well, when that group is involved in that which is ungodly, and when that group is involved in things that are not pleasing unto God, 
that pressure can still be great, but notice some passages that can be of great aid to you and me to deal with those circumstances. In the ancient days of the long ago, as far back as Exodus 23.2, notice the instruction that God through Moses gave the children of Israel so powerfully and wonderfully. They were told, in fact, to carefully watch and be not part of those groups that are involved in doing evil. That text in Exodus 23, verse 2, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. It takes courage, no doubt. And it involves bravery. To understand that that which this multitude or group is doing is not in the way of righteousness and to have the strength and fortitude to stand against it. Do not follow a multitude to do evil. Solomon reiterated that in Proverbs 1, verse 10. Where notice there he said, If thou art consented in multitude to do evil, consent not. If you and I experience enticement to engage in that which is evil, do not consent. Do not give in. Though the moment may be pressurized and filled and you might not wish to know what they will say about you afterward, rest assured, the Scriptures are behind you, encouraging you to still do that which is right, to consent not, to not follow a multitude to do evil, but to recognize that heaven is smiling on you when you make those decisions to not participate in those things. It's easy to conclude that sin loves company. These who are engaging in that which is illicit or illegal or wrong, they find no greater pleasure, it would seem, than to have others doing the same. Was that not true in Genesis 3? When Eve partook of the forbidden fruit, almost seemingly at first she gave to her husband Adam and he ate as well. Sin so often likes company. The more that can be brought in to the participation in it, it seems the better that those seem to like it. Maybe one final comment. Though maybe we each have heard it, it would do well to let the Bible say it as well. Maybe we know and our parents will tell us, well, a friend wouldn't really ask you to do that. And it's so easy for us to think that that person is really our friend who is encouraging us to do this. A friend loveth at all times, Proverbs 17, 17. And a genuine friend is not going to ask you to do anything to violate your conscience or anything that would cause you to be less than what the God of heaven would want you to be. That's the message that Solomon reiterated for us. A friend loveth at all times. The characteristics of friendships are such that they can be very interesting indeed. And in fact, in a way, that leads us to the fifth point as well. We noted earlier that there might be a desire on the part of some to escape from the problems of life for a little while. And perhaps by way of drugs, they can feel this release and this freedom that they seem not to feel otherwise. They're only deceiving themselves. In fact, we should desire to face the problems of life with a strong mind and an aptly strong body. If we weaken the mind and weaken the body, that's not going to ease the problems. That will not remove the problems, nor will it eliminate them. Rather, the best opportunity to appropriately face them, to deal with them and overcome them, would be with a strong character of both body and mind. And in fact, the Scriptures help us see the same. That text that was read for us this evening in a reading in 1 Peter 4, verse 7, is the very text I would encourage you to consider with me at this moment. 
First Peter chapter 4, verse number 7. It's a rather brief text, but found within it is a very interesting phrase, and in fact a very interesting word. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. Now admittedly, much might be said about the end of all things being near, and the thought that was in the mind of Peter as he penned that. Much perhaps could be said about the character of watchfulness and the prayer that would relate to it. But at least for the time available to us this evening, might we interestingly ask about being sober. The end is near. Some set of circumstances is needfully at hand. And isn't it interesting that Peter did not encourage these individuals to address those problems with illicit drugs, nor did he encourage them to efface them in any other way than with a sound mind. In fact, the American Standard Translation actually puts in place, instead of the word sober, of sound mind. I've listed on the screen some thoughts that would be interesting for consideration, other verses as they're briefly to be noted. Might we pause and notice that that word sober that's in place in 1 Peter 4, 7 is again a very different word than the one that we're accustomed to hearing in our modern 21st century America. As surely as the word sober is mentioned today, it immediately is presumed to mean abstaining from wine. That is to say, unintoxicated. And it's true, there are some places in the New Testament, at least in the King James translation, where a word sober will mean something like that. But this Greek word is not that one. This Greek word means to have a strength and a soundness of mind, to be able to approach a problem with level-headedness and with clear thinking. Is it not fair to say that those drugs that we've mentioned earlier do just the opposite? They cloud the mind. They, in fact, do away with the clearness of judgment. They impair such things, in fact. Here, Peter admonished his readers, you employ soundness of mind in order to deal with those problems that are facing you. And the very same Greek word that is in place in this location is also found in Titus 2 verse 6 and Titus 2 verse 12. That latter one is especially familiar to us. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. That first adverb. Notice there it's in adverb form instead of adjective. He says, the Holy Spirit by virtue of the scriptures teach us to live soberly. That is to say with a sound mind, with clearness of thought, strongness in judgment, and the capability to address matters with logical and analytic pursuit. That again is a strong consideration with regard to purposefully reducing those things with the usage of drugs, be they prescription or otherwise. It is to be noted that as those thoughts are presented, it seems to war exactly against all the things we know to be true about those that use these illicit drugs. From an experiential standpoint, do drugs really give the person that for which he or she seeks? In that freedom that they may think they enjoy for a while, do the problems really go away? Well, no, for when they do again return to sanity and reality, not only is the problem still in existence, but now they must face it with less than a clear head and with greater difficulties in terms of hoping to find a reasonable solution. 
you see, the Word of God informs us that those kinds of choices are not the proper ones. Isn't it fair to say in James 4.17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. For those aware of the illicit character and in the illegal character of drugs and yet choose to partake of them anyway, they have obviously committed sin. And in so doing have condemned themselves before the great God of heaven, before the one who wants their mind and body to be at its maximal strength and potential. Maybe all of that raises us to the sixth comment tonight. The sixth and final one, I might add. When we contemplate the stance that the Christian has, oh, how favored and blessed we are in the eyes of heaven. But there's a passage in a text that rings so strongly as it relates to these thoughts. I would direct your attention with me to the closing two verses of 1 Corinthians 6. On that occasion, as Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he began with a question. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It is an amazing thought, isn't it, that for that person who's been buried in baptism, that person is under the ownership of God at that point. That person is owned by the God of heaven. God owns that body. And as such, we should have as our primary question, what would God desire to be ingested within it? What would God wish for me to insert or place within it? These things help us to see in regard to the drugs that seem so rampant in our land that so many have made the choices that are not wise. So many have chosen to fill their lives with things that are not holy and good. They've chosen to purposefully tarnish and mar the capabilities of that majestic body that God has fashioned and made. I noted earlier that drugs are indeed a very low high. Sometimes that statement is made that folks will get high on drugs. May I suggest to you that the scriptures do encourage us to get high, just not on drugs. One of the favorite texts that I've often enjoyed in terms of that very thought is found in the 18th verse of Ephesians 5. I would direct your attention to it as it seems to so interestingly answer some of the thoughts concerning the lesson this evening. Ephesians 5 verse 18. On that occasion Paul said, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It is of interest to note that, of course, we are encouraged to be filled, to be high, if you will, just not on drugs, with the Spirit and all that the Spirit makes available. Peter reminded us in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, but, notice, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Here's what the Spirit has authored. This is what the Spirit has given even they on Pentecost were blessed by as they appreciated the fact that that Holy Spirit made available to them the marvelous entrance into the very body of Christ. The drugs in our land are indeed a serious problem. We certainly would never wish to trivialize it and to make it seem as though it is not a significant thing. For those that are overcome by them may find it very difficult to ultimately overcome and to cleanse their body ultimately from those things. But we can pray that they'll make that effort. 
we can pray that they will choose rather to base their life not upon a human-fashioned drug, but upon the very God of heaven and the Holy Spirit who makes the things possible that will lead to eternal life. As we've looked at these things so far, may we not reasonably conclude in the following fashion some of the things that summarize the lesson this evening. Illicit drugs pose a significant problem to our land. They may creep into my family and yours. You and I may know of individuals overcome by prescription drugs or otherwise. May we again easily conclude that God still loves that individual. And God has not given up hope. But rather we can trust that they will, by proper understanding of God's love for them, respond in trust and character. We noted in our second point, the masterful nature of the design of the human body and the desire of God that it be maintained and kept pure and maximally functional. In the fourth place, we saw so easily the strength that might well be obtained from the Word of God as we face peer pressure and encourage others to aptly do the same, to not consent. Did we not notice also in our fifth point the nature of the strength that might be obtained and found with a strong mind and body to face the problems of this life? And finally, as Christians, we're owned by the God of heaven. Through His Spirit, we should desire then to please Him in all things that we do, including our mind and including our body. This evening, as we draw this lesson to its conclusion, might we be, re be reminded of how the Bible touches all aspects and natures of life. The answers are found in the Word of God. You and I, by diligent study, can decipher those answers by rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15, and thus use the Bible to help us solve and aid others to answer the issues and the problems of their own lives. This evening, we need to be a Christian. We need to be sufficiently prepared and watchful that day by day we're ready to state with those in Revelation 22, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. This evening, are you and I prepared for the judgment? Are we ready for Christ to come at any time? Are we prepared for the occasion of our own death? For we aren't promised tomorrow. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Proverbs 27.1 If we could assist anyone this evening in your obedience to the gospel, realize that on that occasion Christ's blood will wash away sin no matter what character or variety it may have been even if it were of character relating to drug abuse. Tonight, if we could assist anyone to become a Christian, we'd be happy to do so. If you've become a Christian, but perhaps you've let Satan have leeway in your life, and he is in control, give him a very quick exit. Allow Jesus to be welcomed into your heart, Revelation 3, verses 20 and 21. And in so doing, he will again fill your life with all the promises of spirituality and richness and the entertaining hope of an eternal home in heaven. Tonight, if we can be of assistance in either of those means of public response, let us, in fact, do that even now while together we stand and while we sing. <laughs>